It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. John Grisham is best known for his legal thriller novels, but now he's trying his hand at basketball. Grisham joined me to break down his new novel, Sully, and the 30th anniversary of The Firm. Good morning, Jason. Hey, John Grisham. It's an honor to talk with you. Just give us the quick premise. Uh, well, Sully is a character, the main character in the book. Uh, not a great title, but it's all I could find. And um, his name is Samuel Suleiman. Suleiman is a fairly common name in East Africa. He comes from the Sudan, South Sudan, and he comes to the U.S. one summer uh, to play basketball in a showcase tournament. He's 17 years old. And uh, while he is here uh, playing basketball, some terrible things happen to his village back in South Sudan, and he cannot go home. And so he uh, finds himself um, on scholarship to a small school in North Carolina, in Durham, NC Central, and he uh, enrolls there as a redshirt freshman and um, starts playing basketball. Awesome. So you get the whole inspiring basketball side, you know, like Hoosiers, but talk talk about how there's this whole backdrop overseas of his home country in South Sudan, you know, this sort of push-pull within him the whole time of his home versus, you know, the, the new possibilities of the American dream. Yeah, well, South Sudan is a, is a very difficult place to, to live. Uh, it's... Uh, one of the most dangerous countries to visit. The State Department uh, tells us not to go there. Uh, they've had 50 years of civil war and still a lot of uh, tribal ethnic uh, problems, and that spills over into the story because while he is here in the U.S. playing basketball, some terrible things happen to his village. Uh, his home is burned, uh, a lot of atrocities, and his family is dispersed, and he doesn't know where they are. He cannot go home. And uh, he has to stay. He wants to go home and find his family. He can't do that. And so the the story uh, switches back and forth between Suli trying to adjust to life in America and the the, the dream of playing basketball, but also his uh, fear and worry about his family. And he you go back and forth. And the book does a pretty good job of describing what his family is going through, the uh, the life uh, of uh, refugees and and the humanitarian crisis that is very real in many parts of Africa, and um, so it's a uh, it's a good picture of um, this crisis that's happening all around the world. We have we have more refugees today than ever before, and the South Sudanese I think are the second largest refugee population behind the Syrians, and so the, the South Sudanese are scattered everywhere, and his his mother and siblings uh, are forced to walk for hours and days to find food and water and a place to live and they finally end up in a huge uh, sprawling camp that's very accurate it's a real place in uganda and uh, his mother does not know where he is she hopes he is in the u.s but she's not sure he can't he can't go back home there is no home 
and he, of course, uh, is fixated on uh, on his family, and um, he, you know, wants to try to find some way to find them and help them, and it's impossible. You know, he's very depressed and worried, and fixated about his mother and siblings, and um, the death of his father is confirmed, so he knows his dad is dead. Uh, does not know where his mother and little brothers are, and it's very uh, obviously troubling for him. So while he's trying to adjust to life in America, one that he was not planning on, and on campus, and also uh, trying to concentrate on basketball. He, he's very worried about things back home. He uses the basketball as an escape, really, to to forget about his problems for a short period of time. He works out a lot in the gym. He's also growing at an alarming rate. Uh, he He's about six foot four when we meet him. <laughs> he's Soon six five and six six. He's going to be a redshirt freshman because he uh, was not heavily recruited and expectations are pretty low. But he, um, with time, turns into a, a pretty incredible physical specimen, and he spends hours and hours in the gym uh, working out and shooting buckets. And he eventually becomes a, a very accomplished basketball player in a short period of time. He they ditched the uh, the red shirt thing goes out the window when the team has a bunch of injuries and the team has a bunch of losses and the coaches are kind of you know desperate for something so they put Suli in a game and that begins the uh, legend of Suli. I love it. It must have been really fun to write a sports novel like this and we all know you from your legal thrillers you know which we can get to in, in a minute. But was it personally fulfilling to branch out and try a, a different genre? Oh, listen, it was so much fun. I've done it. Uh, I've had two football novels. Uh, bleachers and playing for pizza and then a baseball novel about 10 years ago calico joe these books are a wonderful diversion i love sports and played sports and follow sports and uh it's a lot of fun to write novels about uh uh athletes and teams and it's a it's a, it's a great diversion i'm, I'm not going to get away from the legal thriller because uh for obvious reasons those things are <laughs> very popular have been very good to me and i have a lot of readers out there who uh, expect the uh, legal thriller every fall, so I'm not going to get away from that. But I do like to go in other directions. and I've written seven books for kids. Uh, I've written uh, one work of nonfiction, published one book of short stories. So I I, I divert from the law all the time, and it's uh, it's a wonderful uh, diversion. Awesome. While we're on that subject, you know, you've written football novels, baseball novels, now a basketball novel. Uh, where do your sports allegiances lie, sir? <laughs> Who are your teams? <laughs> well, I, I live in uh, Charlottesville, and my son went to UVA, so we go to all of the UVA home games and love the program, love Tony Bennett. Uh, he's been here for 13 years now and brought a new level here. The national championship was two years ago, and we're still uh, still enjoying that. Um, my wife is a um, Tar Heel fan. She went to UNC. My daughter went to UNC. She's a Tar Heel. So I've got, you know, mixed loyal loyalties at the dinner table, and uh, so we, we and we go to a lot of games in Chapel Hill. So we spend a lot of our winter time. And basketball season, uh, going to games, and then we follow ACC basketball closely, and uh, it's just a whole lot of fun. And we live for uh, March Madness, like all fans. And uh, we've been to you know regionals, uh, Final Fours, and uh, with Carolina and with UVA now. So uh, that, that's that, those are our teams. Uh, we I follow college sports, uh, prefer college sports uh, uh, over the pros. Uh, love college football, love college baseball, and uh, keep up with it. 
professionally, I grew up a Cardinals fan in uh, around the Memphis area. That's all. That's Cardinal country, and so that's my team. I uh, I like the uh, Nationals. Um, pro football, I don't really you know. I, I watch a few games, but not much. And um, always pull for the Packers. That's my childhood team. So those are those are my teams. Yeah, that UVA upset when they lost in the first round to uh, UMBC it must have been horrible for you. But but they came back. You know, they avenged it. You're good. <laughs> it was it was beyond horrible. It was, it, but it, but it also set the stage for the following year. The comeback they made is just an incredible story. It's worthy of a book. I'm not going to write it, but I'm sure somebody's writing that book. But it was a, sure. such an epic meltdown against UMBC. UVA has never done well in the tournament. It's just kind of historically uh, where we dropped the ball, and we did it this year. We lost in the first round to Ohio, yeah. and so UVA fans are very nervous when we we're very excited, very excited to get to the tournament. But we're also pretty anxious because the record's not that great, and uh, to to melt down against UMBC was just devastating. And but uh, the the players that we all you know become attached to, uh, and the coaches uh, showed a lot of resilience. And the comeback in 2019 was phenomenal. Uh, the last three games, uh, they were on the verge of losing those games, and they pulled out these miraculous wins. And <laughs> it was their destiny, uh, and we're still reveling in that. Yeah, you mentioned your family's ties to UNC and going to Chapel Hill. You know, obviously Michael Jordan, the great, came out of there. And, you know, he and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, you know, that whole 1992 uh, Olympic dream team, they were the ones credited with globalizing the sport, you know, which is where maybe a, a Sully from another country saw it. Um, was any of that percolating in your mind, you know, how basketball became this global sport in the 90s for, for a Sully to aspire to come here? Uh, sure. I mean, all that was as part of the background. Uh, the showcase tournament that Sully plays in when he comes here in the summertime, he's 17 years old. Um, there, there are many showcase tournaments throughout the country in the summertime. These kids from around the world uh, travel here. They're very excited about coming here. They're terribly excited about playing in front of college, American college coaches and getting scouted. Their dream is to play collegiately here and then professionally, of course. The dream is the NBA. And there, there have been so many great players from Africa um, it, it, that, just, that keeps the dream alive. But also, you know, the Eastern Europeans and, and South Americans, we – you know they 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 come from everywhere now. It's it's such a global sport, and uh, it's it's you know it's just for for fans. It's just uh, we love to see you know kids from other countries uh, come here play here. We've had a bunch of them at UVA. We had one kid who was sort of an inspiration for the for the book. Um, his name is Mamadi Diakite. He came here from Guinea uh, to UVA. Uh, he didn't play much his first two years, but he kept getting bigger and quicker and. <laughs> He could jump over the backboard, and by the time he was a senior last year, he was uh, playing really well, a shot blocker and just a big guy inside. He got drafted uh, last spring, and he's now on the roster for the Milwaukee Bucks. And he, he was never all-conference, never an all-American, but he got bigger. And we fell in love with the kid because of you know the, these South Sudanese kids typically play with tremendous uh, enthusiasm, and with big smiles, you just you just love to watch them play because they love the game so much, and and so that's uh, that was also an inspiration for the book. Right. Well, I know my listeners will kill me if we don't ask you a couple questions about your legal thrillers. Um, remind us where you, where you went to law school and how you wrote that first book. I mean, I, I guess the first one was a Time to Kill, right? Yeah, Time to Kill is '89, and I was still a lawyer in Mississippi when I wrote that, um, and I, I'd practiced law for 
10 years in my hometown, which is a suburb of Memphis, and I uh, went to undergrad at Mississippi State, law school at Ole Miss, and I uh, didn't think about writing back then. I was going to be a lawyer or a judge or something. And uh, got the urge to write uh, not not too many years into that career, and uh, started playing around with a novel, very much uh, on the quiet. Nobody knew it but my wife, and uh, I, I was afraid to show anybody what I was writing. <laughs> and I finished the first book uh, in three years, A Time to Kill. It came out in '89, as you said, and it was a total flop. I mean, the book didn't sell, and and anywhere, and. Um, I was not discouraged. I was still writing. And, I, you know, I, I vowed to write one more book. And if the second book flopped like the first book, I was going to, you know, forget that little hobby and just be a lawyer or a, or a judge. second book was The Firm, which came out uh, 30 years ago, March of uh, 91. And that changed everything. Yeah, you're not kidding. <laughs> uh, I still think of that one scene in, in the movie of The Firm, you know, in the Cayman Islands where they're at that little tropical bar. Uh, had you done a trip there or anything? You know, where'd you get the idea for that setting? When I wrote the book, I set the book in Memphis because I, that was the only town I knew. Uh, I hadn't traveled any. And I'd, I'd been out of the country one time on a scuba diving trip to Grand Cayman in 1978 when I was 23 years old. Uh, a bunch of us took off to Grand, Grand Cayman's famous for its scuba diving, and we were doing a lot of diving back then. And uh, just had a wonderful time on Grand Cayman, and became intrigued by the um, the international uh, banking, Caribbean banking stories you would hear about. Uh, you know, the huge banks in a small, poor country, and where was all the money coming from? And it was, you know, South American drug money, most of it. It was just a fascinating setting. I wasn't thinking about writing back then, but when I did start writing the firm. I needed to uh, have a place to, you know, for for Mitch McDear to get away to, and so it was easy because I'd actually been there. Right, right. What was your reaction to finally seeing both of those movies? I mean, A, a Time to Kill. I mean, I think Samuel L. Jackson should have won the Supporting Actor Oscar that year. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, Tom Cruise and the great Gene Hackman for The Firm. You know, we're, we're just blown away that suddenly these actors that you'd idolized forever are, are suddenly in your movies. It was pretty pretty awesome. Uh, looking back, it's hard to remember now, but the movies of The Firm, The Pelican Brief, and The Client – came out within the span of 12 months, all three of those movies, uh, from the summer of 93 to the summer of 94. And they all were huge movies with big casts, great actors, huge box office grosses, uh, foreign uh, box office grosses. They were you know, famous movies. They're still on TV somewhere tonight. <laughs> and so that one-year period around 1994... Yeah, we were all blown away. We, we, were, we were incredibly uh, busy, and it was frantic and crazy, and it was a, a wonderful time. And you know that that really paved the way for the rest of the career. Once those books and movies were so successful, it just really made everything else happen. That's true. Then, of course, the Rainmaker comes out. You know, Coppola takes that on with a young Matt Damon. And then, of course, the Pelican Brief with Denzel. Did, did you ever hear from from like a Denzel saying, "Hey, thank you for writing such a big moment in my film career"? You know, I, I've never been one to hang around a movie set. It's just really boring. It's really boring work. And, <laughs> and I don't, I don't make movies. I don't know how to make movies, so I'm not going to go there. But we, sure. we would normally go to the set once or twice, take the kids meet all the actors and the director and watch them film a couple of scenes and get totally bored and go back home. Uh, but so we, we, we were able to meet um, almost all of the actors in the movies. We did not get to meet Denzel 
but uh, I think we met most of the other ones, and they, you know, they're all super nice. They're all happy to be there, and you know, one one thing about it that I remember is how much they all uh, love the books, and they they love the they had read the books, and they loved the stories, and they were honored to be doing the movies, and it was very gratifying. Awesome. Well, I know we're on the clock, so we'll end it this way. Um, if you had to pick one book that you think is your most underrated, you know, is there one that you're particularly proud of that you think didn't get the acclaim you, you thought it should have? Well, I, I have to love all of them to finish them. <laughs> so I, I, I get attached to all of them, and I really can't pick a favorite. Uh, I think they've all uh, had a good run in the marketplace, and nothing has been neglected. Uh, Calico Joe is probably my favorite sports book until now. I, I love Suli. I love love the character, but uh, ba- baseball is my favorite sport. And I always wanted to do a baseball novel, and when I came up with a story for Calico Joe, I, I thought this this is really going to work, and that one kind of sticks out as one that I thoroughly enjoyed. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you joining us, and I know we got to run, but uh, John Grisham, everyone, check out his new basketball novel, Suli. I, I appreciate you joining us. Thanks, Jason. I hope it's not for the last. Yeah, keep them going. You know, basketball, football, baseball, you know, maybe hockey next. Who knows? <laughs> That'll take some work. I don't know that sport. It'll take a lot of work for that one. <laughs> I do not foresee a hockey novel anytime in my career. All right, man. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jason. See you. Take care. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.